Before we get into the text, uh, we the last time we were together, and we've had three uh, folks minister in my absence <clears throat> as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, but the last message I gave was on the gift of tongues, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, if you didn't get that uh, message, you can get it online, um, and we went into great uh, depth on the study of that, um, and uh, if you have any questions on that, you can find it in that, that study. Um, and at the end, if you have questions that I can answer, I'll do my best to help you with that. But I'm going to do a little bit of a refresher, and then we're going to jump into uh, chapter 13 um, th- this evening. But I want to I just kind of go back over chapter 12 in a reading, and, um, and then kind of set the stage for chapter 13, um, which is one of the most common verses in America, it's typically the passage that you'll hear at a wedding. Um, it's probably one of the finest definitions of love found anywhere in the world. And um, we'll cover it. But what's interesting, and why I want to begin with chapter 12, is in context, people think it's about love, which it, it, in a sense it is. But it's also, the Lord is making a very specific statement that will floor everybody. Because he's going through a teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he lays this down in chapter 13 that preempts everything else. And, um, and I've, I've given the, a talk on, uh, on love easily 400 times in different schools around the country and churches. It's the one message that if you were to wake me out of a coma and put me behind a pu- pulpit, I, I could give this sermon in my sleep. Uh, it's my favorite message. Um, it's my it's what I call my love talk. All of you have heard it if you've been in the church um, in the past 17 years. You've heard it before. And I'm going to try to avoid boring you with that, that talk. But I will cover some of the points in relation to it. Uh, especially for folks who haven't heard it before. But you're not going to get the, the whole Megillah, um, so to speak. So let's, uh, let's pick up. Let me pray and then we'll pick up in our reading. Lord, we thank you for your word. And as we undertake... Uh, study of, of the book of 1 Corinthians, this epistle, and to understand uh, how a church is to operate in a healthy manner. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you've given us these gifts for the sake of the body and that we desire and seek unity. And so, Lord, we ask that you would just do a wonderful work this night as you call, cause us to come alive to your living word. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do tonight in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, we, we've taken a look at the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. I, I, I took a pause in between the chapters to really focus on the Holy Spirit. And by the way, starting not this Sunday, but the following Sunday, I believe it's the 14th, we're going to be doing what I, uh, on Sunday nights what I like to call waiting on the Lord. Um, Pastor Brad Cummings is going to be doing the Sunday nights. And the idea is really what you've been studying in 1 Corinthians 12, where we're just going to wait on the Lord. Uh, he'll manifest gifts to his people. Uh, we're going to worship. We're going to have a time where he's just going to speak to his people, minister. Uh, Pastor Brad has a real gift in that area. God's used him to orchestrate it in the sense as gifts can be dispensed and as we long for those. Uh, he has a gift of administration in the sense of he knows how to operate what I call a believer's meeting where you're waiting on the Lord. And, and um, for some folks, they'll come in and they'll think, well, this is not what I'm used to in a church. And that's why we're doing it on a Sunday night. And I really want to invite believers. But even if you're not a believer in the Lord, you'll, you'll come to understand the Lord in a great capacity. And Pastor Brad has that ability. And he's bringing in uh, guest worship on Sunday nights. Not this Sunday, but the following Sunday. Uh, this Sunday I'll be preaching, the following Sunday morning I'll be in Dallas, and then Pastor Brad will teach uh, both the Sunday morning services, and then he'll do Sunday night. He'll be kind of setting the stage so everyone will get an understanding of that. And I, I pray it'll really minister to the body, because uh, someone had commented uh, a ways back that, that the night before the, the borderline event, the shooting, uh, I had taught on, on um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and, um, and then we went into this this horrible evening, um, and I just found myself applying everything that I had been teaching, and then that Sunday I taught on it again, and then folks who hadn't been here on that Wednesday night, but now were aware of what had occurred at the borderline, um, and also the fires and the like, and, and the intensity of what the city faced, 
they went back and listened to that message again, that Wednesday night message, and, and seeing how God was doing a, a profound work. And that's really what we want to do on Sunday nights is we, we want that filling, we want that blessing and, and longing to be used by him and asking the supernatural work requires supernatural gifts. And so that's why we've taken time to get to understand the third person of the Trinity. And I'm going to set the tone because as these gifts have been described, and then later on we'll go into more of the gifts, but I want to pick up at, um, at chapter 12 to set the tone for chapter 13. And so some of this we've already covered, but let me just go through it beginning in verse 1. Chapter 12, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And again, I remind you, why did he say that? Because they were ignorant. Most people are ignorant of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, They've been abused. The third person of the Trinity, because he is one that doesn't take the limelight, he lifts up the name of Christ that all men would be drawn unto him. Uh, People love these gifts. Uh, It's amazing. We just went through Christmas and one child will get a specific gift and the other will feel gypped because maybe they felt as though they didn't get an equal gifting in that regard and and they're less loved or however it would work. The idea is he's the giver of the gifts and he gives gifts as he he deems necessary and fit. But he says you're you're allowed to long for them, but the one thing he says is that you're ignorant of them. And so we've taken time to come to understand some of these gifts He says in verse 2, you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And that's not to say that that somebody uh, can say that and they're, they're accursed. Uh, the idea is it's, it's, it's the outcropping of your life and this, this reflection of who you are. Um, and, and you wouldn't say anything of this nature. But it doesn't mean that someone who says that is a curse. That, and we went through that and you can take a look at the study later. There are diversities of gifts but the same spirit. And what's the point? The point is that we'd be unified, that we'd be one. There's going to be a diversity of gifts, and some people will long for one gift more than another. And the church at Corinth exercised these gifts, and most of them spoke in tongues, not all of them. Um, and they exercised these gifts, and the church couldn't have been more screwed up than, than any church in the history of the world. This church put the fun in dysfunction. It was a train wreck of a church. They had a man sleeping with his father's wife, and and it was just sexual immorality, and, and they were getting drunk at the communion table, and, 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 and I can go on and on. This church was a train wreck. And and interestingly enough, in the Greek culture, it was always, it was, it was, um, they, 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 presentation over substance. Uh, they, they love theatrics. They love to go to plays. They, they wanted the, the bells and the whistles and the lights and the smoke and, and all the, the trappings that come with it. And everything was visual. Uh, and that would always take precedent in many cases over the substance. And the Bible says, speak the truth in love. And truth without love, as I've said before, is brutality. And love without truth is hypocrisy. There's a balance in the two. Uh, Jesus was filled with the Spirit and with truth, and, and, and this, this idea um, that there has to be a balance in the body of Christ. They had, they had every gifting imaginable. And I've met gifted people. I've met folks that just have charisma that they walk into a room and the, and, and the, barometer, or the barometer changes. I mean, there's just something significant about them entering into a room and all eyes turn to them. As some people, they just look like they've been chiseled out of granite. Some men, they would just walk in and, and every woman just, like when Pastor Ken Graves comes to speak, everyone, all the women are just melted by, maybe not. I just kind of, I, I feel insignificant when he's here and I'm just sharing my heart in relation to that. And but, but this is, and, and there's beauty. Some, some women are given this gift of beauty. Um, oftentimes, women that are beautiful don't have to develop a personality because um, it, it's not necessary. Every, every, that the one thing they have is what, they're, what people are attracted to. And, and so this, this idea of gifting also comes in the ability to act. Uh, in the world, there's giftings. Some people have it, some people don't. But the gifts of the Holy Spirit... The purpose of these gifts is to bring unity to the body of Christ. And so he's going to emphasize this. And he says there's diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Some people have different ministries. Um, I I was walking through Loma Linda University Hospital, and there's a person going down the aisle clearing trash cans. And, and, And then... Coming out of the next door is a physician that is probably coming from a surgery completely in the operating gown. 
Does one, one person's gifting or task eliminate the need of the other person's gifting or tasks? No, they operate together so the hospital can move. Some people go, well, you know, a janitor is to be dismissed. And when my brother and I sat, we came to realize we haven't seen each other in a while, but we were sitting having a meal and uh, I come to realize he's very similar to me when sitting and having a meal that the first thing I do is I ask the name of the server and then I always tell them, thank you for serving me. And, and then we have interaction because in, in the world, the closest thing to ministry is a servant, is uh, somebody who waits tables. Because you tend to overlook them and you only get upset when they don't do something for you. And yet they're making your life pleasant and they're serving you and they're almost invisible and they're, you, you treat them. And, and the, the real test of a servant, Gladys Allward said, that the true test of a servant is how you act when you're being treated like one. And that's, that's this one picture where this may be a menial task to some, but they do it as under the Lord. And that's the reason why this guy can do surgery and have a clean operating room. And, and the two work together. And so Paul's pointing this out. And he says there's a diversity of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. The purpose is, you're, you're given a gift. And if you don't have a gift, it's simply all you have to do is ask. And we've already gone through that. How much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If, if you want a role in the body of Christ, ask him. There's plenty to do. He didn't, he didn't call you to this earth to take up oxygen and not have a gifting from him. He wants to give you a gift. You may long for a specific gift. He gives you another one. But the reality is this is our calling. And so he says it's for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit. To another the word of knowledge through the same spirit. Can you imagine that? What kind of clout you'd have in a church when you can come up to somebody and say, I have a word from the Lord for you. Bailey gets it. Nobody else does. Can, can you get kind of puffed up with that? I mean, I've had people come up and go, yes, I have, a, I have a word from the Lord for you. And so, you know, wow, um, I was praying all day and I didn't hear what is it that he would be willing to tell you but not me. And, and, and there's almost a, a resistance to receive it because of the attitude in which it was delivered. Has anyone ever met somebody that you wouldn't want to have dinner with but they have a word for you? This is a tough crowd tonight. And, and so everyone is given one of these, a word of wisdom through the spirit, another word of knowledge with the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. Man, if you had the gift of healings, everybody would be coming up to you. They, did you see the, the anointing on that person and how they blew on people and they fell over? And did you see, I was watching some videos of pastors that just, it was It was crazy. And they're lording it over them and they're walking around and they just look like a, a uh, you know, a rooster on top of a hen house, just in absolute control. And, 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 and it was, it just grieved me. And it makes you look at the, why the world looks at the church and just thinks that church is just a big joke. Watching folks walk through and, and milk people of money using these gifts to, to, to play this game. And by the way, there's no bigger stick to hit somebody over the head with than, than the stick of God. Because you, 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 can, you can play to their emotions because we are a trichotomy, body, soul, and spirit. And you can, you can play to the spirit and have this manifestation. And you may have a gifting. You may have a gifting. And you may have an anointing. But you're going to see something. And this is one of the reasons why I'm so hesitant to get into chapter 13. Because there is one verse in there that I can't stand. It grieves me. Every time I read it, we'll get to it. I hope that caught your attention. Verse 9, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same spirit. Verse 10, to another the working of miracles. Boy, the, people would line up if you have that gift. To another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another interpret, interpretation of tongues. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And then in verse 12 it says, for as the body is one and as many members, but all members of that body of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized in the body, whether Jews, Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, am I not of the body? 
Is it there uh, for not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? He's taking the human body as an example. They had done intense study in the Greek culture as the human body was related that each of the internal organs and the eyes, the skin is the largest uh, organ of the human body. Uh, if you're a dermatologist, you are intrigued with, with the skin. Um, if, if you're an ophthalmologist, you're intrigued with the eye. Uh, we can go on and on. I don't know all the different ones. But, but this, this idea that you're going to call in a specialist and they found an, an organ of the body that they think is specific or of greatest importance. And, and you, could, you could say that the brain is the most important. If the brain ceases to operate, the whole body shuts down. True. But without all of the other receptor, receptors and all of the... the the nerves and everything else firing and the spine bringing all of the information to the brain. The brain is just a blob sitting in a jar. It may contain certain things, but without the human body operating and being able to get it from place to place and being able to feed itself and put food in and then the body being able to process it and bringing the, the nourishment to the brain and all these things. What he's saying is this, this works in unity. This works in unity. And it has to operate that way. And that's how a church is supposed to operate. And you come into a church, and typically when you come into a church, you don't come in thinking you're a member of the body. You come in thinking that you are the one in charge and everyone has to attach to your body and operate according that you're the brain. You come in with the, and it's with everybody. When I say you, I mean me too. You walk in and you evaluate the church based on how you feel and, and you, you, you scan it. You know, the worship isn't good. The people weren't friendly when I came in. They, 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 they. And you shop a church much like you'd, you know, shop a school or you shop something else. You don't come in to say, where do I fit in the body and how can I serve? How can I get this organism operating in such a way that it's able to function properly? And, and what is a cancer cell? A cancer cell is a simple cell that decides to consume everything around it and become a mass, one large, just absolutely out of control cell. And what it does is it begins to feed off of these other cells and devour them and create its own mass of tissue until it shuts the entire body down. And the best way to destroy a church is the same way to destroy a body. And you can do a study on this. Just be about you. Just make it about you. Get irritated. Get frustrated. Be, be thin-skinned. Take offense. Give offense. Make it all about you. Let, let everyone know that you're irritated with them. That, you know... I mean, we, you can go through the whole list of how a church will let you down. I was talking with somebody just the other day, um, and they had lost a loved one, and they had reflected how they had, had attended church, and the church was weird, and we just kind of gave up as a family going to church. I said, yeah, I imagine that. And, and now you're going through a grieving process, and you're calling me. Yeah. And I said, you want to know why you're calling me? They said, Yeah. I said, because you're a trichotomy. You've got your intellect, you've got your soul, and you've got your soma, your body, and you're, you're operating and you're going to work and you're taking care of day in and day out activities, but you have been hit to the core and your knees have been knocked out from under you, and all of a sudden you realize there's more to life than just simply what you can taste, touch, see, feel. There's something here. And you live in a physical world and you're using metaphysical terms and you're coming up with this concept of love. Your heart aches. And one of the things they'd share with me is, my chest is tight. I said, that's one of the stages of grieving. Why would God wire us in such a way to experience pain at the loss of someone if we're just physical and, and we're just matter? Why is it that we have emotion and we miss and we love and we care and we hate and we hurt and, we, and we're adding these metaphysical terms to a world where it's just matter? What is this about our, our, our human makeup? And as I told them, I said, you have now come face to face with your mortality. And as I told them, I said, nobody listens to me at a wedding, but everybody listens to me at a funeral. And I said, when I was with your loved one, they didn't want to have a memorial service. And I said, you know what I told them? I said, what? And I said, would you do a memorial service for one reason? They said, what is that? That the person that I was talking to, they didn't know this, uh, that I'd be talking to them later, but I sensed it. Word of knowledge. I... Um, I said to the person dying, I said, if you, do, if you allow me to do a memorial service for you, I'll be able to reach them. They pondered it and they said, that's a good reason. I approve. 
very humble. They didn't want any attention to themselves, but they saw that. And sure enough, they pass from the scene. They go to be with the Lord. And the first person to call me is that individual. You know, how are we going to do the memorial service? Why am I hurting? And they have access now to a minister. And that's what happens in life. You come face to face with your mortality. You come to a place in life where you're struggling. And this is where God does this work. Because we have been created to operate in community. And to operate in community means that there has to be a way that our gears operate together. Some people are spinning at different RPMs and you can grind one another. But the Lord wants us to dwell together in unity, and so he gives us these gifts to do that. But we even have a way of taking the gifts and getting irritated with one another because we're envious. Envious. For as the body is one and has many members, we went through this whole picture, but look at verse 15. Oh, no, I'm sorry, verse 20. But now indeed there are many members, sorry about that, but there are many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you, no, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker, uh, as, a, as the scripture points out, those members that seem to be weaker are necessary. You take away your big toe and you will have problems walking. Your whole body is off balance. It will take you months to figure out how to walk again by just losing your big toe. You think it's not necessary. Every portion of the human body. Now you can operate without it, but not as well. It's kind of like having a single parent family. It will work, but it's not optimal. And God has created us optimally. And, and this is that idea. Those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. I mean, if, if you spend time, I have met people with the ugliest looking toes. And if that's you, I haven't seen yours yet. I wasn't speaking of you, but this may be as the Lord speaking. I, and, and I think you can avoid that fungus on your toe if you just blow dry your toes, but just take a little time in the morning when you get out of the shower, blow dry your toe, and you won't get fungus on your toes. It's that simple. Amen? But that means that you have to take time on toes when you want to be working on your face, right? All the attention goes to the face and you forget your feet. You need your feet. And, and one of the greatest areas, especially with folks that, that have leprosy, is... is the, the reason why their, their, the, their fingers and their toes fall off is not because leprosy does that. It's because they, they lose feeling in their toes, much like diabetics do. And so when they injure themselves or they burn themselves, they don't know that they've burned themselves or cut themselves. And the infection festers and they don't even feel it. They have, they, they have no pain sensors. God gave us pain so that we know that something's wrong. If you want to live in a pain-free world, move to a leper colony. They, they, they have no sensors of pain. They don't feel pain. And their bodies are destroyed and they're rotting. God gave us pain so that we understand this is not how, how we're supposed to operate. This portion of the body needs attention. And, and you, you take time with the little part, portions of your body and you, you work on those. And this is the picture that he's saying. You give greater honor. And our unpresentable, unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. I mean, we, we, we want to cover certain things and other things we want everyone to see. And he's pointing this out, that this is, you know, parts of the church and the way we operate, this is to be done in private. You know, and that's why one of the reasons why I'm calling a, what I call waiting on the Lord meeting, uh, not to be done in private, but this is one of those things that there's modesty. It's, it's something that people walking in may not completely understand. And, and I, I don't want to burden them, uh, but, you know... I, I, I could say something odd, like I, I, I'm allowed to walk in my house wearing underwear, but not in the church. You understand that? But I'm not going to say that because it'd be odd. This is a tough one tonight. I'm working on it. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part, to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. I was watching one of the bowl games, and I, I, uh, I think I watched every bowl game. I haven't really been doing anything in the last three or four days but sitting on a couch. And I, I remember hearing one coach uh, come out and comment about his team. 
He said, this is probably one of the best teams in the history. It was the Texas coach. He said, uh, Texas hadn't been a player for a long time. Now we're back. And he said, one of the things that changed with Texas is he said, this isn't a coach-led team. It's a player-led team. There is, there is a unity in the locker room that a coach can't bring. And it has to do with key members that have brought the unity of that team. It's the same thing with a church. It's the same thing with an organization. You get a couple of folks in there that are all about themselves. And they may be the most talented players imaginable. I remember one coach in particular talking about a basketball team and how he benched his best player and all the alumni and everyone was giving him grief. And he said, I- I'd rather play without him and lose than play with him and win. And-, and what it did is it gelled the team because all of a sudden they realized that this isn't about one player. It's not a cancer. It's a team. And if it's all about you, it destroys the team. The unique gifting of being a leader, being a head, is that the Bible says if you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant of all. It's bottom-up leadership. And, and if you're lording it over people, it, it, it creates almost a cancerous and a resentment by those that you're leading because you're, you're doing it for your own glory. And every time you hear one of the quarterbacks, if they're worth their weight in salt, and they come up and they ask him, you know, tell us about tonight and the big win. You were player of the game. And he said, I couldn't have done it without my front line. And, he, and if he's really good, he'll list their names. And a couple of tackles that so-and-so did. And I'll tell you what. And he's, he's deferring it to his team. This isn't mine. This is theirs. Every time someone's pinned with a medal of honor, I'm taking this medal not for myself, but for all the men and women that didn't come home. Those are the real heroes. This is that idea of... of of, of unity. This is where that leadership comes from. And this is what the Lord is pointing out. If one member suffers, verse 26, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. The idea is whatever we do, we do together. Now, you are the body of Christ. He's speaking to the church at Corinth and he's speaking to the church here in Newberry Park. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And I look around, there's individuals. Dr. Scott, there you are, right there. You're an individual. We've had individual conversations. We've had individual time together. But you are a member of this larger body. So is Pastor Craig, right? They're individuals. They have their own struggles, their own needs, their own successes. But the reality is they're a member of this body. And where do we fit? And that's what the Lord is pointing out. He says in verse 28, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, so what he says in relation to apostles is these are the ones that, these are the, the called out ones. They're, they're supposed to set the tone and, and lay this out. And the next is going to be prophets and those that have this, this fervent uh, ability to proclaim things so that people can see the, the future. They set a vision. For lack of a vision, the people perish. Third is teachers, and this is of great importance. And I'll tell you what. Uh, we put a lot of emphasis on teaching at Calvary Chapel. That's the gift that's being exercised currently, and no one's interrupting with the gift of tongues because um, it's been my experience and, and my understanding of the Scriptures that God's not really into interrupting himself, and tongues edifies the individual, and without interpretation, it's all about you. Uh, with interpretation, it edifies the body, but at this point, a gift is being exercised. It's a gift of teaching. And so you have uh, that, that of miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues, he says, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And he's laying out gifts that people were longing for and they were prideful about having. He says, now listen, I want you to earnestly seek or desire the best gifts, but yet I want to show you something, he says. I want to show you a more excellent way. I want you to long for those gifts. If you have a desire to want to stand behind this wooden stand and preach, praise the Lord. You know how I got here? I remember the night up in Green Valley Lake. I asked the Lord, would you give me the gift of teaching? Some of you go, well, (laughs) he didn't do that. But you have the gift of humiliation. You humiliated me. No, I'm kidding. With humility comes honor. I asked him. I mean, I, I, had, I had seen people's outlines and I had read and I, I kind of, I got, I got a C in public speaking in a community college and I barely got a C and here I am, this is my profession, this is what I do, I, I, I use words, I communicate and yet where did that come from? I asked the Lord for it and there are gifts that you, gift of administration, 
This, this, this church could not function without Pastor Tony and Pastor Craig and all the work they do, especially Micah and all, those three guys together. The stuff that gets done, I don't worry about it. If I had to do the administration, it, it, would, be, it would be like having in, the English being the cooks. Don, I'm sorry if I insulted you. She, the English boil everything. They're not very good cooks. And what I'm saying is I would be a terrible administrator. Um, I, I can set a vision. I, I, I can communicate. I can inspire to some capacity. Um, there are folks in here that have the gift of healings, this idea of going and praying for people and watching them healed. Um, the gift of tongues. Um, uh, we've seen it exercise, but the reality is some people think that evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. I covered that. That, that's, that's not in the scripture. I went through a very systematic study of that. I do believe that, that God gives a prayer language which is very profound and powerful and something that we should exercise. Um, but earnestly desire the best gifts. And he says, yet I want to show you a more excellent way. And this is where we're going to focus tonight. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm only going to go uh, through this passage to the end and then we'll be done tonight. And it's only 13 verses, so bear with me. Now, setting the stage, what have we covered? We've covered this idea of who the Holy Spirit is. We've covered the purpose of the gifts. The gifts are to bring unity, but it's also to give supernatural empowerment. So, and he says that we're, desire, we're to de- desire these gifts, right? And he comments, and we've done this through the study of, of 1 Corinthians, that the, the church at Corinth had the gifts. They had these gifts. And they exercised these gifts. But they were lacking something. And he says there's a more excellent way. And this is, a, this is why I, I really do not like 1 Corinthians 13, and I'll show you momentarily. Here we go. Ready? Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? Let's try that again. I am what? You know what the word nothing means in the Greek? You're catching on. And nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, I can die a martyr's death. And if I have not love, it profits me a little. Nothing. It, it's, it. If there's anyone sick in the body tonight, I have the gift of healing. And I'm going to heal you if you'll just come on up and what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to have this thing and what we're going to do is miss some house praise God did you get that that's a clanging cymbal or a sounding brass all you hear is that you, you may have a supernatural gift who cares you, 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 you may have the gift of prophecy. You may have the gift of healings. You may have the gift of tongues. You may have a word of knowledge, gift of administration. You may have the gift of teaching and preaching. And if you don't have love, you have bubkiss, nada, zilch. Anyone else? You don't have anything. Do you understand that? The body of Christ, you will know their disciples by their love for one another. Now, he lays this out. And you know what? It says, I can do all these things and it profits me nothing. I have seen these preachers rake in big, big money. Has anyone else witnesses? They are raking it in. I'm watching a guy going, I've got seven cars. 
I don't want to get bored driving one each, week, each day of the week. That's why I have seven cars. God wants me to have seven cars. I'm like, hang on. I didn't say any names, and I'm not going to do that. And, 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 and I need a jet. God doesn't want me to go coach. And, I, and you need to give. And you look at that, and you go, that's profit. Who wouldn't want to travel to Europe in a private jet? And drive a different car each week. But is that profit? What does it profit a man to gain the world yet lose his soul? And it's a clanging cymbal and a sounding brass. All you can see is the brass. And, and yet this is, this is in, in, in a sense, these folks have an amazing gift. I've witnessed it. And in some cases... I believe with all my heart, Oral Roberts had the gift of healing. Anyone ever, anyone know Oral Roberts? I believe he had the gift of healing. I think he went off the rails. Just hit that symbol. I think a number of these charismatic leaders have these gifts. And they're really dangerous. They're really dangerous. They're dangerous because if you remove love, you're in trouble. You're going to end up with a gift and you've accomplished nothing with it. And here's the test. The scripture says, if you don't have love, you have nothing. God couldn't be more specific. If there's no love, it's void of substance. What if right now, if you held your hands up and you said, God, would you give me the gift of healing? And you walk over to somebody, stage four cancer, you lay your hands on them and they're healed. What are you going to do with that? They're going to want you to go on tour. And and every church is going to want you. And they're going to book you in advance. And they're going to have a green room for you. And they're going to say, look, this church, we're going to give you extra special something if you come. What kind of coffee do you like? Just write a list of the things you expect when you arrive and we'll have it waiting for you in your room as you prepare. What kind of hotel do you want to stay in? We'll pay you anything. What churches are you going to go to? Are you going to go to the little 25-member churches in Satakoy? Or are you going to go to that church? Work with me here. Hello? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. When he's talking about love, he's not talking about love of money, not talking about love of yourself or love of comfort. He's talking about love of others. That gift is dangerous. It's really hard to possess that gift. It has been the downfall of, of, of amazing folks. And what's the first thing you think when someone comes in? You go, boy, is there an anointing on that individual? Whew. Now they're the center of attention. And oftentimes with all these gifts, not only can, can, can nobody get a word in edgewise because a person is so busy exercising their gift over your minuscule petty gift. What's yours? Yours is to sweep floors and to, to be a servant and, and yours is this smaller picture of a gift. You have the gift of helps. And you're the one putting the toilet paper in the room while everybody's focused on this individual. And, and the church can get heavily weighted and out of balance because it becomes about an individual. And so he says, let me show you what this looks like if you have it. You already have the gifts, but this church, speaking at Corinth, this church is a train wreck. Let me show you how to balance this gift, this supernatural gift, so that it manifests itself. By the way, I've heard this, and this is one that always gets me. I don't exercise the gifts. I'm all about love. Has anyone ever heard that one? There's a couple of churches that are cessationists and they take this passage and they say, I have love, I don't need the gifts. What are they doing? First of all, they're elevating themselves. Secondly, they're dismissing what God says you should earnestly desire. These gifts we're supposed to have and he wants us to have and he wants us to ask to have them. Amen? Amen. It's not one or the other. By the way, 
Love is not a gift. Love is not a gift. Love is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, right? It's a fruit of the Spirit. It's not a gift. And what are the gifts? The gifts glorify the giver of the gifts. Who gave the gifts? The Holy Spirit. It lifts up the name of Christ. And if you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant of all. For God so loved the world, he gave. Love is sacrificial. So he says, let me show you what this love is. Love suffers long and is kind. I hate this passage. My flesh hates this passage. Every time I read it, every time I read it, I go, okay. Because, you know, you've heard the old saying, if you want to replace Jesus' name with the word love, it fits. Jesus suffers long. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not parade himself. Jesus is not puffed up. Jesus does not behave rudely. It all fits. But the, the, the terrible part about it is putting your name in there. And, and I, I feel like the commercial I saw on during the weekend, love suffers long and is kind. And the facial expressions of the guy just communicating without saying anything, I kind of feel that way. I, I probably, that's a D minus, I don't know. Suffers long. One injustice. And it's like pressing a button that lights all the lights in the house. One injustice. I am being mistreated and you don't understand and this is not the way that somebody like me is supposed to be and they do this all the time. Christ, though being God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but took on the form of a servant unto death, even death on the cross. Suffers long? I mean, how long can we go in the suffering realm before we get irritated? I have been waiting for a phone call for at least a week from this person. And I haven't gotten it back. It's, it's hurting me a little bit. I'm angry. Matter of fact, I'm just really, I'm peeved. I'm just so upset. It suffers long. And then if there's been an injustice and you're suffering through it, what's the opposite of kind? Unkind. Well done. (laughs) Kindness. The Bible says love hopes all things. You give people the benefit of the doubt. Do you understand what you did to me and how much it hurt? And I am just angry. And you treat them that way. Well, you would know if you were paying attention why I'm so upset. Why are you treating me this way? You, you should know. I don't. Nobody has this problem. I thought it was... <laughs> Love is kind. What does the Bible say? A gentle answer turns away wrath. We're so quick to just attack each other with our words and get frustrated. Love doesn't envy. Jealousy or, or desire is... Um, um, I don't know. How do we do this? Tim Bond has a really cool... Is that a sweater? Okay, so Tim Bond has a sweater, and I like it. And, and I, I, I really like that sweater. Envy would be... <clears throat> I can't have that sweater... And I hope he drops bleach on it so he can't enjoy it. It's this, it's this desire for somebody else's hurt because you don't get what they have. That's envy. And love doesn't do that. Does that exist in the church at all? Have you ever sat in a Sunday service and looked around at some of the things people were wearing? Well, that's a little ostentatious, isn't it? I wouldn't wear those boots anywhere in public. You just sit there and you marinate in your... Love doesn't parade itself. You you can parade yourself by the way you you dress and you just walk in. And that's one way. Another way to parade yourself is to walk in with the biggest Bible you can find. 
And, and if you're a woman, just dress with something really and, you know, walk in like, you know, the church lady. Or come in as a man, you know, just where you're, you're dressing in such a way as to reveal that you are somehow more pious than anyone else. But here's the problem. While you're sitting down like I just described and you're looking at that person and go, well, that is a pious outfit. What are you doing? Judging. Maybe that's the only set of clothes they have. I remember one time, um, um, the pastor at uh, Modesto, Damian Kyle, he, he talked about, he was making fun of, of guys that think they're important because they have a keychain with all the keys in it. And he was, he was just making light of this, you know, and oh, he's important. Look at all the keys he's carrying. And he's making this issue. And this poor janitor, that's his job. He just gets up and walks out because all he had was keys. And Damien just realized, I am, I am guilty of that which I'm describing. And really, what's, what's missing? Well, from the pulpit, you, you can make light of anyone. And I grew up that humor was, you know, you make fun of people and it's, that, that's how we dealt with stuff. That's not acceptable. And this is the picture that the Lord's describing. It doesn't parade itself. It's not puffed up. What happens when you're, when you're roasting somebody else in your mind on Sunday service and you're, you're just in your mind, you're commenting on what they're wearing, how they're sitting, uh, their, their, unatt- their, their lack of attention to the message, the, whatever it is that's annoying you, maybe some manner, mannerism that one of the worship leaders has or an outfit that they wore, whatever it is, what are you doing? You are, you are elevating yourself at their expense. That somehow whatever they're wearing or doing is less than you. And you're puffing yourself up. And the idea of puffing is you're just filled with air. You're void of anything of substance. And this is the picture that he's giving very clearly. It does not parade itself. It's not puffed up. It doesn't behave rudely. Rudely. What is the purpose of manners? I learned this on Blast from the Past. It was a movie. Don't worry. What's the purpose of manners? I'm sorry? Preventing conflict? Yeah. Manners is to tell somebody that you appreciate them and you respect them. Letting someone else know that you care about them. All manners in English society were designed to make the other person be at ease. Did you know that? That was, that was all of the description of manners. You stand in the presence of, of the gray-haired one. You stand in the presence of a lady. Husbands, honor your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. This idea of everything they did was scripturally referenced. And, and this, is, this is the culture that it created. And, and the idea is you don't behave rudely. You don't seek your own. You're, you're not easily provoked. There are some people that well, some people, everybody, if you find the button, you can light them up. My kids always touch my belly. Nothing makes me angrier. And they know it, too. They giggle. And I smile because it tickles. But I hate it because I'm trying to get rid of this thing. And they're always touching it. And they're here, and I just want them to know that. <laughs> and you behave rudely. Me. And you're provoked. Love thinks no evil. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. I mean, you, you just, do you, you take joy when somebody that you just don't like all that much falls into sin? And you go, God, there is a God. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Love rejoices in truth. Love bears some things. Oh, I'm sorry, it says all things. I can't do this. This is too heavy of a burden. Don't ask this of me. Love believes all things. That doesn't mean that you know, trust comes with truthfulness and truthfulness over time. 
And, and the man who is a raging alcoholic and beats his wife, and then in the morning when he's sober, he says, I swear to God, I'll never do that again. And then the next night he drinks and he beats his wife. And, you know, that's not love hopes all things. That's, that's not love believes all things. I'll tell you what I believe. I believe you're going to drink, get drunk, and we're going to do this again. And I believe that you don't want to be drunk. I believe that you don't enjoy what you're doing. But I believe I'm not going to put myself in that position and that's not necessary. There, there's, this is, the idea is, when you hear gossip or slander and it comes to you, do you immediately go to the worst case scenario? And, and I, I share this often, as a, as a shepherd, I'm almost finished by the way, as a shepherd, um, and judge me all you want, and whoever's without sin, go ahead and throw that first stone. As a shepherd, I am always looking out for wolves. And I've shared this before. The problem in a church is that sheep turn into wolves. And wolves turn into sheep. And sometimes they're a chimera. They're like a middle breed weird thing. And what I mean by that is they're walking with the Lord, walking in the spirit, and they are precious. And something goes wrong, something hits, they, they go off the rails, and then they all, they, they just turn into a wolf and they start devouring people. They go back to their flesh. And then they come back into the spirit. And sometimes they're halfway in between where there's that sense of the, of the Lord in their life, but they're just not walking real well. And, and every time I'm looking out at the congregation as a shepherd, I'm mindful of those that are seeking to, to harm the sheep. It's the way I'm wired. So typically, and, and this happened when I was young and maybe God's developing it over time, typically I look and I'll go, okay, what's the angle? What's the angle? And somebody will be talking to me and I'll be listening to them going, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'm trying to evaluate what it is you really mean. Nobody has that problem? And, and, it, and oftentimes, you can judge somebody incorrectly. I'll take my evaluations, and the Bible says to put on Christ. I will be Christ-like to that individual, but I will take those warnings maybe that the Lord gave me, and I'll pray over those, but I'll still treat that individual with respect. I didn't always do that. I would immediately go, I know your type, and you're not welcome here. I don't do that anymore because I have been clearly, clearly convicted and corrected by the Holy Spirit that I was way off. And some of the most precious saints I, I had no clue on. None. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I've ever told Tom this, but I remember the first time I met him and I'm thinking, nobody, nobody has a life like that where he's having these conversations with these people. That just, that, that's, a, that's a gimmick. Only to realize, this guy's having conversation with people and talking to him about the Lord, and this is the real deal. And I've come to adore him. I always did. He was always funny. I hope you know that, Tom. <laughs> but this is that idea, is, is the Bible says, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. I mean, we, we give up. The one thing we want to avoid in life is pain. And the easiest thing to do is to walk out. You stay put. You work it out. The church is so dysfunctional because we've been shopping a church and the minute we're hurt, we leave. And you know when you leave, you know what? Two things happen. One is the church is no longer healthy because you just left. And your giftings went with you. And secondly, you're not healthy because the body you were supposed to be a part of, you no longer have attached to you. And then you just become a renegade. You're just like a toe running around the earth. A fungled toe. Because you have no way to blow dry yourself. You don't give up. You serve. Michelle and I served at a church that was, it didn't believe that the word of God was, that the Bible was the, the inerrant word of God. 
There was, there was a number of things wrong with it. But we were called there. And, and as a result of, of one pastor and his wife, uh, the Sagarians, they had developed a young couple's ministry that to this day is instrumental in the entire city of Fresno. Because they endured. And they got beat up by the trustees and the Christian Education Committee. And, and they got beat up left and right. But they just stayed the course and they loved on these folks. And, and the people weren't the enemy. They were the opportunity. And they, these, it was an ethnic church. And these folks had been ingrained there for years. And everybody had opinions. And they just loved them and loved them and loved them. And it changed that whole community. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Because all things will be made known in heaven. And we won't need a heavenly language because we're going to have the wherewithal to communicate clearly. I'm thinking it's going to be so intense. Uh, this heaven itself and this realization and prophecies. We, there's no future because there's no time. All that goes away. It, it's just gone. It will vanish away. Verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. Meaning all those things will be gone, prophecy and tongues and all that. But the thing, he says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. He says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also, or just as I also am known. Now abide faith, hope, and love. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Are you going to need faith in heaven? Are you going to need hope in heaven? You know what heaven is? Heaven is the embodiment of absolute, complete love. And if you have done like I did and realized that all the giftings he's given us to try to keep us together and endeavor together, that they're worthless without love, and then you evaluate yourself as you go down that list on love and you realize there's so much more I can be doing as a, as a believer, you know where you get that love? Again, we come back to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit. It manifests itself in the form of love. A real simple request in addition to just saying, Holy Spirit, would you baptize me? Would you fill me? Ask, ask the Holy Spirit this. Would you let me love like you love? Would you give me a love that you have? And, and in the last four minutes, I'll just share this. It's real simple. In the English language, we have one word for love. The Greeks had four. They had storge, eros, agape, and phileo. Storge is familial love. It's not really listed in the scriptures. But the three loves that are listed in the scriptures, uh, the first one is eros. It's a love you have for objects, not people. You, you love an outfit, how it makes you look. And, you, and it's selfish. It's a selfish love. I love it because of how it makes me feel. It's where we get the word erotic. Where, where eros and erotica, it's all visual. And, and women, it, it's, it's the least form of love in the Greek mindset. And we look at women as objects for our pleasure. And so we treat them like objects. We want them to dress like objects. And so that's eros. Eros is that engaging, but it's all about you. And it's how that that will make you feel. So it's a selfish love only intended for objects. It's the most prolific form in our culture, but it was the lowest form of love in, our, in the Greek culture, but it's the most prolific form of love in our culture. Everything is about eros. Everything is visual. And it's very selfish. Mm. Mm. And then the, the second is the reverse of eros is agape. And... Uh, Agape, eros is the love that a newborn baby has for its mother. The, you say, well, the mother is a human being, not an object. True, but the newborn baby doesn't see the mother as a human being. The mother is the object for its survival. Right? So the baby looks at the mother as an object. You can love another human being with eros love. There's just one catch. You have to reduce her intrinsic value of being the pinnacle of God's creation to being an object. 
It doesn't sustain a marriage. It doesn't sustain a church. It doesn't even sustain a relationship. You certainly can't even have employment with that love. But the reverse is agape, and agape is the mother's love for the baby. Well, that's different. You guys have heard the story with every mother. Having just given birth, two o'clock in the morning, the baby's crying. The mother doesn't go in and go, what do you want now? I just gave birth to you and I hurt. Nobody eats at two in the morning. And the baby doesn't give anything back. If it makes a noise on either end, it results in a mess. That mother picks that baby up, loves on that baby, feeds that baby, changes that baby, and the baby just looks like a wet rat. Pushed through a straw. And, and the mother's hurting, and the mother's tired, and the mother's just exhausted, but that is a selfless love. It says in the scriptures, greater agape has no man than this and to lay down his life for a friend. It's the greatest form of love a human being can give. This entire passage is all describing agape love. But in the last two minutes, this is the final one I'll share with you. There's a third type of love, and it's misunderstood in our culture. It's called phileo. And we say that phileo is a brotherly love. City of Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. It's deeper than that. Jesus said in Philippians, having the same love being of like mind, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. So the Greeks looked at phileo as a mutual love, only intended for people. And the formula is A plus A equals phileo. So Jesus dying on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's reviled, he's spit on. He isn't unkind. He doesn't return evil for evil, right? He, ende- he endures. He, st- he suffers greatly. The Via Dolorosa. He pours out every drop of blood. And while he's hanging on the cross, and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Into thy hands I commit my spirit, thy spirit. He breathes his last. And everyone while he's there is sneering at him, spitting on him, and mocking him. Did he die so that every human being on the face of the earth go, yeah, okay, God died for me, shed his blood for the remission of my sins. Whatever. No. We're all here tonight because this has drawn us. And Christ says, as I've loved you, so love one another. How did he love us? He laid his life down. So the idea is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. You lay your life down, She responds by laying her life down. The byproduct is what we call phileo. Christ lays his life down. We lay our life down. Having the same love. The same love is this. He gives us agape and you say, God, you gave gave your life for me? While I was yet a sinner, you loved me? Yes. Not that we love you, but you first loved us? Yes. And you would love me in this state? Yes. And you would do everything? Yes. And you would forget? Yes. Oh, God. I give you my life. And the Bible says, be of like mind. What happens now? Michelle and I have been married 29 years. I wear a wedding ring. And interesting thing is, I said, I want to give you my life, and she gives me her life. And the Bible says the two become one. We're of like mind. I can start a sentence, she can finish it. She can start a sentence, I can finish it. We can be in a crowded room on her birthday opening up gifts. No one in the room will have a clue. I can tell by the movement of her eye whether she loves it or hates it. The two have become one. And this is a mutual love. And the idea is, let the mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you. Let the love that was in Christ Jesus be in you. And he was always abiding with the Holy Spirit. He was always relying on the Holy Spirit. He was always seeking and waiting and and doing the will of the Father. And the Holy Spirit was empowering him and he was operating in the context of love and he wasn't rude and he wasn't, you know, any of the things listed in 1 Corinthians 13 in the negative. And so the greatest form of love a human being can experience, agape is the greatest form you can give. You lay down your life and you do that by following 1 Corinthians 13. Just go down the list. And if that's not you in the reading of it and you're getting C minuses and Ds, ask him for a filling. And what's going to start happening is you're going to take on the mind of Christ and start walking in the concept of Christ. And the world is going to start to see these gifts that he's entrusted to you being used for his glory. 
Because when you walk up to somebody, you no longer see an object. You see who he died for. And you lay your life down for him as he laid his life down for you. And you start serving them with this gift. Not to extract their pocketbook, but to impart hope and truth into their life. You start looking at the least of these as the greatest in the kingdom of God. You start noticing the waiters and the waitresses and the people who are clean in the bathrooms. You start realizing how important all this is in life. You don't take anyone for granted. You're not short-tempered. You're patient. Oftentimes people start talking and I already know what they're going to say. I finished their sentence for them because I'm busy. I have things to do. Do you think maybe they just wanted to have you hear them? These are all things that we are challenged with. We're not perfect, but we can be baptized in his love. And if we have love, these gifts, a church flourishes. It's amazing what God does. Ask him for more of it.